What's going on, Crossbridge Brickle? <laughs> it's good to be here with you guys. I feel that uh, I haven't been here in forever. Can I grab this? Right. And so it's, uh, you know, joy and an honor to be here with you. Beth is here with me and two of our girls. We have one on the way, which is actually three. We have three girls here. One is in her belly. Um, I don't know if you guys heard that, but, uh, you know, we, we're expecting another girl. Pray for me, brothers and sisters. Yeah. But, you know, I've been hearing all the great things that God has been doing here uh, in the life of this church. Uh, when I get to meet with Carter once a week and even with some of the other staff as well. And I'm so, so happy, so glad uh, to see this church uh, doing well and uh, thankful for Carter's leadership here. So, again, I think they like you. Yeah. Um, here at Crossbridge Brickle, you guys have communion every Sunday, right? At Pinecrest and actually the other campuses, we only get to do it once a month, but you guys have it every Sunday, which, which is an amazing thing. However, uh, there's always the risk of approaching the Lord's table uh, with a lack of awe, with a lack of reverence, um, with what happens actually in, the, in, in a spiritual sphere when you take part of the Lord's Supper. Some of you were maybe raised in a Christian tradition where you were used to going to Mass every week, and, uh, and this is what just Christians do, right? Just taking the, the Lord's table, uh, taking out of the Lord's table and receiving a wafer uh, from, you know, the priest or the clergy that's up there. And, uh, and again, you know, you, 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 you have the risk of losing uh, the meaning of it. And it's something so special, like this meal that we're invited to every single week is a very special meal. It's, there's, there's no meal like this meal, one where you're fed in more than one way. I, I like to say that, uh, you know, the Lord's Supper is a manifesto against the status quo. And I think that this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate here to the church in Corinth. The Lord's Supper or the Eucharist or communion, those are all interchangeable terms for this uh, sacrament. Uh, it's a manifesto against the status quo, okay? And so I am going to break that down so that you can understand exactly what I'm trying to say here, okay? So first, it's a manifesto. We'll look into that. Then a manifesto against the status quo. Why? And then thirdly, he here's what I believe. I believe that those who partake of it are revolutionized. This is within the whole love war theme, right? I'm using that sort of protest language. So uh, it's a manifesto. Uh, in verse 26, the Apostle Paul says, um, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, get that? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What he's saying is every time that we partake of this meal together, we are making a statement. We are making a proclamation. There is a visual manifesto going on. You know, theologians throughout the centuries like to say that, you know, there is the preached word and there is the visible word. The preach word is what I'm doing right now. I'm reminding you of the gospel. I'm going to the text. I'm opening the text and trying to show you the gospel in the text so that you may believe in it and you may be transformed by it. 
But there is such thing as the visible gospel, and that is what we do every time that we partake of this meal. It's a visual manifestation of the gospel. We are declaring so many things when we're partaking this meal. And, uh, you know, he's very specific here. He says, uh, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So here's, here's the proclamation. You're proclaiming the Lord's death. Now, I was raised in church, and I heard this text, you know, being read more than one time, and it was always puzzling to me. What does it mean? What does the Apostle Paul mean that every time we partake of this meal, we're proclaiming the Lord's death? Isn't this morbid? Actually not. In some sense, it may seem morbid. Why? Because death is about divisions. Death death is about separations. Uh, You know, death divides our bodies from our souls. Uh, Death divides or separates us from our loved ones. But this death, the death of Jesus Christ, is a very unique death. It's a death that actually unites It unites us with God. It unites us with each other. It unites our present to the past and our present to the future. And and anything that unites, it's founded in love. That's what love does. The essence of love is one of unification. Love uh, unites people that are uh, set apart. Uh, Love unites resources to needs. Love unites. And it makes a statement, right? Right? Uh, Number one, here's the first statement of this manifesto, that God feasts with sinners. And I love, you know, the expression, again, revisiting, it's a biblical expression that the Apostle Paul uses in verse 20. He calls it the Lord's Supper. This is not Paul's Supper. This is not the Apostolic Supper. This is not a denominational supper, but this is the Lord's Supper, meaning the creator God of the universe has set a table for sinners And that's so revolutionary. It was revolutionary when they first heard this because, you know, up to this point, all world religions was characterized by you set up a table for your deity and you, and you make offerings to your deity and maybe your deity is impressed and maybe that gets their attention so that they may bless you. But the Christian table, right? The table of the Lord, the apostle Paul speaks is a, is a table that the Lord sets for sinners It goes beyond that which we read in Psalm 1, right? Where the psalmist is is praying and he's saying, Lord, set a table for me before my enemies. The table of Jesus is a table that God has set for his enemies. While we were yet sinners, while we were enemies, the Lord has prepared a table for us. The creator God of the universe is welcoming outsiders in. And the only requirement for you to take part in this table is your need of him. I had a professor in seminary that used to say this, talking about the requirements of the table of the Lord and what you need to do in order to partake of it. He says, you don't need to do anything. Religion says that you need to perform it. You don't need to do anything. All you need is nothing. All you need is need. So that's the first statement that this table makes That the Lord, the creator God of the universe, he's not a transcendent God isolated in his own little heaven, you know, uh, does not want to be involved with messy people like us. No, 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 no. The creator God of the universe feasts with sinners. Every time that we come and we take part of this meal, we're declaring that. The creator God of the universe, he feasts with sinners. Uh, Secondly, this is what this meal tells us, is that we're all equal. Because the creator God of the universe feasts with sinners, we are all equal. 
people. And that explains Paul's outrage here from verses 17 to verses 22. The Apostle Paul is very disappointed by the news that he receives of how that church in Corinth was celebrating the Lord's Supper. You know, the Lord's Supper back then was done at the back end of the service, sort of like how we do it here, except that it was a full meal. Here we have a little sample of the Lord's Supper, if you will. They had a full Lord's Supper uh, back then. And the way it worked, it was, you know, it was almost like a potluck. People would bring food. Uh, and after or at the back end of the service, they would break it out and they would eat and they would, you know, rejoice and remember what Jesus had done for them. But there was a particular problem happening here at the church of Corinth. And that was that, you know, there uh, were wealthy people in the church and there were poor people in the church. And uh, the Apostle Paul is so disappointed because the same stratification in Corinthian society was showing up in the context of the church as they were celebrating the Lord's Supper. And so the wealthy folks would come in and they would, you know, would break out their wine and their bread and their food and they would eat a whole lot and they would drink a whole lot so much that some of them had to be carried home. They were, they were beyond Presbyterians, right? <laughs> they would eat so much, drink so much, some of them were, were being carried home. And then some who could not afford to bring enough food for them or their family would go home starving and hungry. And the Apostle Paul looks at that and says, man, there's all these factions in your church. There's a problem maybe of classism in your midst. And it's completely opposed to what this meal ought to represent. Because the merits or the, the reason by which we are welcome to this meal has nothing to do with what we're able to do and how well we're able to live the Christian life, but it's based on what Jesus Christ has done. At the foot of the cross, at this table, we're all equal. There's no place of proeminence in this table except Jesus' seat. But all other seats are equal. And you can't come with this sort of posture, celebrating the Lord's table, looking down on each other, Refusing to be generous to one another with the food that you have brought here. Despising each other. Because the statement of the table is that we are all equal. In chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, the Apostle Paul says this. He, he paints a beautiful picture of what happens during the Lord's Supper. And uh, you know, if, obviously it's not printed, nor it's going to be on the screens. But if you have a Bible, 10, verses 16 and 17, says, The bread that we break... Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we partake of one bread. He's saying, here's the picture. You, you, you remember the loaf that we use for communion? There's actually, a, there's not a loaf behind me. There's uh, two bowls of crackers. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, so picture this. There's one loaf in which we break and we all eat from. That's us, guys. That's the picture of us. We are one body with Jesus. We cannot show divisions, especially when we're celebrating, you know, this meal. In the the cover of your bulletin, there's a a quote by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, who was a fantasy writer. And uh, I love the imagery that he brings forth here as he reflects upon the reality of the Lord's Supper. 
He says this, I find no difficulty in believing that the veil between the worlds, nowhere else for me so opaque to the intellect, is nowhere else so thin and permeable to divine operation. First of all, let's pause right here. Here's what he's saying. He says, there is a physical reality that takes place. You know, there's the eating and the handing over, I mean, the handing over of the elements and, and the eating of it. There's something physical. You know, we're touching these physical elements. But also, there's a spiritual reality that's taking place as we're taking part of this meal. And he's saying, you know, the veil that separates those two worlds, this is what he's saying, in this moment, in other moments in the Christian worship, you know, it, it may be a little opaque, uh, and, 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 you know, there's a, a lot more of me if you have a stark distinction, but in this moment, it's sort of like a very thin veil, like, you know, maybe of silk that you can look through. And then he goes and he says, here, I love this because he's a fantasy writer. He, he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, all that. He says, here, a hand from the hidden country touches not only my soul, but my body. A hand from a hidden country touches not only my soul, but my body. Here, the prig, the dawn, the modern in me have no privilege over the savage or the child. Here, I love this, here is big medicine and strong magic. The command, after all, was take, eat, not take understand. You know what he's saying here? Number one, you know, in the fact that the creator God of the universe feasts with sinners, we believe here that God is mysteriously present and that he's actually mysteriously spiritually. I don't know how to explain that, but he's, he's feasting with us. And it's like a hand from another world is touching us. There's that mystery to it. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's a mystery and, and it's, a, it's a divine action that reaches all of us across the aisles, across the pews, regardless of gender, regardless of race, regardless of our socioeconomic status, because in Christ we are made one. And this is the, the third thing, therefore, that this meal proclaims, declares, this manifesto declares, it declares that it is finished See, in verses 23 to 25, the Apostle Paul reminds them of the words of Jesus, the first time that he ever served this meal. You know, it, this goes all the way back, uh, communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, goes all the way back to the night that Jesus first celebrated this meal with his disciples. And on Holy Week, we're going to relive this meal on Monday, Thursday at our campus in Miami Springs, I want to invite all of you to be there. I'm going to walk you through the steps of that meal. I don't have the time to do this tonight. But he, he reminds them of the words of Jesus uh, where Jesus said, uh, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then the same way also he took the cup, meaning Jesus took the cup after the supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. Every week here in this case, do it in remembrance of me. See, when Jesus celebrated this meal with the disciples, he celebrated this meal in the context of the Jewish Passover. It was on the night that he was betrayed. He was betrayed on Thursday. He was crucified on Friday. He stayed all Saturday in the grave and raised on Sunday morning, just to give you a little bit of perspective here. But, you know, he celebrated that meal when Jews were celebrating the Passover. And the Passover celebration was about Jews celebrating the fact that, that once they were captives in Egypt and that the Lord delivered them from captivity through their servant Moses. 
Now, on the eve of their delivery, the Lord, through Moses, spoke to the people, and he says, here's what I want you to do before you actually are delivered. Uh, In fact, this is very important so that you will be delivered, okay? I want each family to slaughter a lamb and to... um, you know, pick the blood, take the blood of the lamb and smear it over your doorposts. Because tonight the angel of death will come and every single house that does not have that blood smear on its doorpost, the angel of God, the angel of death will take the lives of the firstborn. And now after doing that, uh, I want you to take that lamb uh, alongside with herbs and, and bread and wine. And I want you to eat that lamb in celebration Uh, of your delivery, which will happen the following day. And what what that meant was that in order for the people to be free, you know, a sacrifice had to be made. In order for them to be delivered, a lamb had to be slaughtered to atone for their sins so that they could experience freedom. Now that meal, that very night, was a very awkward meal. Here's Jesus with all his disciples around that table, And, you know, there was the bread and there were the herbs and there was the wine. And they were going through the various steps of the cedar meal. But one thing was missing on that table. There was no lamb. And the disciples were looking at each other and saying, man, we're really broke. It's low budget (laughs) Passover meal. What's going on here? You know, no lamb. Are you kidding me? We're just going to eat bread and drink wine. That's good for appetizers, but man. Where's the real meal? And the disciples are sensing that something is missing, but Jesus does it. For Jesus, everything is as it should be. And the lamb is there. It's not on the table, but it's sitting at the table with them. And Jesus is saying, what I'm about to do for you is so important. It was just like that lamb that was slaughtered on the eve of the people's delivery. I will be slaughtered on your behalf so that you will experience freedom through my death. And every time, look, every time that we come to this meal that the Lord instituted for us to come, we are reminding ourselves that there's nothing left for me to do or for you to do in order to get God's attention so that we may have our prayers answered and get his favor because what needed to be done has already been done by Jesus Christ. Jesus obeyed God as we should have obeyed. And he died and he paid the penalty that we should have paid. And every time that I come to this table, obviously I am reminded of the fact that I'm a sinner, that I am a broken person, that I'm battling sin in my life, that I carry guilt from past sins. But what this table is designed to do is to give me the assurance that I have been forgiven and that my sins have been dealt with by Jesus' death. That's what it's all about. It is finished. That's what this meal declares. But also, this meal, um, you know, communicates to us that the best is yet to come. It's always pointing to the future. 
Now, it's, it, it's, it's, it's sort of strange for us because we tend to celebrate that which has been accomplished. So you graduate from, you know, your doctoral program and you've been there for five years or your master's. Uh, I don't think there are college students here, so I can't use that illustration. Uh, but you, you finish that and, and, and then you celebrate. You, you invite your friends over. You, you find someone to share your life with and, and, and you have that ceremony called the wedding, and uh, you're so happy, and you invite your friends, your closest friends, your family to celebrate with you that accomplishment. I looked so for so long, and I finally found the person that God had for me, right? You're so happy. Now, the interesting thing about this meal is, yes, there is uh, some of that to this meal. We are celebrating the fact that we have been forgiven, that Jesus Christ died for us, therefore proving his love for us. But what this meal is, is a toast to the future that God is building. Because in this life, we're constantly confronted with brokenness, with pain and suffering. We are suffering. The people around us are suffering. And it's very easy for us to lose hope in life. And every time that we partake of this meal, it's designed to instill hope in us and say, yes, life sometimes sucks, but guess what? Jesus is making all things new. He is putting all things to right. And this is a toast to the future that God is building. And that's why this meal is a manifesto. And it's a manifesto against the status quo. The status quo of what? The status quo of religion, the status quo of our culture, and the status quo of our hearts. And those three institutions, they pretty much have the same operation mode, which is performance, right? In order for you to be invited to certain tables, and the basis by which we invite people sometimes to our table is based on performance and on achievement. You know, in your career field, some of you get to sit at the table which is at the top with the directors, with the presidents, and what takes you to that table? Performance, achievement. Some of you get to sit on the table of, you know, the most respected professionals in your career field nationwide or internationally. What took you there? Performance, achievement. And religion operates under the same mode as well. It says that there's clean people and unclean people, good people and bad people. And if you want to be clean and if you want to get God's favor and sit at his table, you better start working really hard. You better read your Bible every day. You better give your money away to the poor. Now, now, all these things are good, and you should be doing those things, but not to bend God's ear, not to get God's attention so that your prayers are answered and you receive the favor of God, you see. And the reason why both religion and even our culture operate in that fashion is because our hearts, our sinful fallen hearts operate that way. That's why we are so hard on others when we're hard on ourselves. We look down on others because they haven't performed, whether it's religiously or professionally or relationally like I have. And I tend to look down at myself at times and feel horrible about myself. Because I'm always feeling that I've performed below the standards that's required of me. 
And it's no coincidence that Jesus institutes this meal the night before he was betrayed, before going to the cross, so that we wouldn't forget, because we tend to forget what he has done for us. We tend to forget of the future that he is building. We tend to forget of the fact that the creator God of the universe actually loves to feast with sinners. And that I'm, an, I'm no better and no worse than anyone because of what Jesus Christ has done. I think that Jesus instituted this meal you know, purposely uh, to serve as a manifesto so that, you know, through this meal, when we partake of this meal, we're able to not only subvert, but also to debunk the evil system of religion of the world. That's why Christianity is the end of religion. You know, yes, who can, who, who, is able by their own works to partake of the table of God. Who has performed well enough? How dare you to approach God's table, right? But I can. Out there, you have to perform. But here, it's not based on my performance, but what Jesus Christ has done. It overthrows, it puts, you know, the system of the world upside down. You know, out there, who's in is in. Here, those who are out are in. Those who are hungry, those who are needy, those who have it all together, those who are fed and full, you can't approach this table. You wouldn't want to. Out there, the first are first. Here, the last are first, and the first are last. That's what this meal is designed to do. It's a protest against the system of religion and of this world. Every time that we partake of this meal, We're proclaiming the manifesto of the gospel against the status quo of religion, of our culture, and of our hearts. It's speaking truth to power where it needs to be spoken. And every time, therefore, that you partake of this meal, that we partake of this meal, we are revolutionized in three particular ways. It changes you when you partake of this meal. First, it, it restores your inner balance. And I like to use this expression because we live in a culture that loves this expression, inner balance, achieve your inner balance. But it's true. There are people here in this room that are naturally prideful. They're prone to pride. That are cocky, big-headed. I know some of you are probably in that list as well. Um, and then there are people in this room that feel horrible about themselves. They're naturally humble, Um, they may have a low self-esteem. They don't feel that they're enough. And what this meal does is to the proud, it says, hey, listen, the only basis by which you can come is because of grace. It's not on your own merits. It's in the merits of Jesus. You are a sinner saved by grace. And so when you come, how dare you look down on other people because of their gender, because of their race, because of their socioeconomic status. This meal, every time you partake it, you're declaring, I am a sinner in need of grace as everyone else here in this room. It humbles you every single time. I'm humbled every single time that I take it. But it also lifts those who are humble. It empowers those who are humble because at the same time that it tells you that you're a sinner, You're a sinner saved by grace. What that means is the only reason why you were saved is because God imparted his love for you. 
that the reason why you can take this meal is not because, you know, there's these religious requirements for you to take part of this meal, but because the creator God of the universe wants to foster a relationship with you. And people out there may not like you because of what you have done and what you represent. Maybe you have failed in more than two areas in life. But the creator God of the universe, he looks at you and says, it's all right with you. It's all good. I love you. You are accepted. You are approved because of what my son has done for you. You are loved beyond measure. You have no idea how much you're loved. Every time you eat of this bread and you drink of this cup, you're tasting love in your lips. That's what this meal is designed. It's designed to restore your inner balance. But also this meal revolutionizes us because it's designed to restore our relationships. Verses 28 through 34, the Apostle Paul is talking about the fact that many were suffering in life as a result of coming to this meal in an unworthy manner. What does he mean by that? See, what I've been saying this far is that if you are in Jesus, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you're struggling with in life, last night could have been a rough night, this past week could have been a rough week, you can still come if you come in Jesus, through Jesus. Now, what does it mean to take this meal in an unworthy manner? It means to take this meal, I'm just going to cut it, cut to the chase, okay? It means to partake with this meal, partake of this meal with hypocrisy. Because what I said was, when you come and partake of this meal, you're making a statement that I am a sinner saved by grace, right? That God has reconciled himself to me through what Jesus Christ has done. I have been forgiven. This is the new life that I've been welcomed in. I'm sitting at the table of the creator God of the universe. And if that's true, if I really believe this, but... I have a hard time extending forgiveness to others. I have a hard time being generous to others. I'm coming to this table in a very fake way, okay? Disingenuous way. I'm proclaiming something with what I'm doing by approaching the table, but denying it with my life every day. And the Lord takes that very seriously. And therefore, as you come to this table, you should always have in your mind, God, what areas of my life and what relationships in my life must I reconcile in light of what you have done for me? Now, I'm not saying that you have to reconcile to people, even though Jesus said, if you approach the altar, it's not saying this in this passage, but Jesus at one point says, if you're approaching God's altar of worship to give an offering and you are reminded that you have a brother or sister that you are in, 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 in conflict with, leave the offer and go reconcile to your brother or sister and then come back and do the offer. Place the offer in the altar after you reconcile with your brother or sister. Now, this is not saying this here in this passage, but what I'll say is this. It may be very hard for you to reconcile the relationships that are broken in your life actually before you take part of this meal because some relationships take years to reconcile. But I want you to come with a posture of reconciliation. It says, God, I'm going to take this meal, right, 
but I want to offer myself up to you and I want to take a posture of forgiveness and reconciliation to the relationships that are broken around me. And I want to be a generous person, not only with my belongings, but I want to be generous with my heart too. And when you come that way, you're coming in a worthy manner because your life is in accordance, or at least you are resolved, or your resolve is in accordance to what the reality of this meal represents. But lastly, this meal restores your sense of wonder, and that's where you're ultimately revolutionized. Like I said to you uh, before, you know, this is a sacrament. Sacramentum is a Latin word, which is a translation of the Greek word mysterium. So this is a mystery meal. And like I said, I really, really, really believe that Jesus is present here as this meal is being celebrated and served. And I want you to come knowing and believing that he is here to meet with you. And I want this meal uh, and these words to restore your awe and your sense of reverence as you partake of the body, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. It is for you. And the invitation is always come, taste, and see that the Lord is good. All right? So let me pray, and I hope that you have that experience tonight.